Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. And I know you were all in awe when you walked in this building. You're like, oh, now you brought, I don't know if you were or not. Um, I didn't build it. Um, we praise God for Galveston County Church that did. Look, when the church isn't in the building, it's just a building. That's all it is. Okay, this, these walls are not the church. People are the church. Why? Because the presence of the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. Okay? What they didn't realize is that on this day when Jesus left the temple for the last time, the presence of the Lord went with him. The church isn't the building, it's the people. You might read that one on a church marquee sometime, and it's true. Sometimes we confuse the location with the presence. But the Bible reminds us that the gathering of Christians is way more powerful than a structure. Pastor James even reminds us today that the walls of the church building don't define the church. You do. Jesus reminds his disciples of the same thing in his last days. You carry that same Holy Spirit with you wherever you go, so let it shine through you today. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 13, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Mark 13, verse 1, it says this, As Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the walls, okay? So just so you understand context-wise, we have been in the city of Jerusalem with Jesus and his disciples, and as he's been there for about a half a week, he's been inspected, okay? So he's the Passover lamb. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, And the day when all the Passover lambs were led into Jerusalem to go through the inspection process would have been on Sunday, which we call Palm Sunday. And that's when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And it happened exactly on the exact same day that the Bible had prophesied about in the book of Daniel. I mean, like the exact day. And you can't even make that stuff up. So it happened on that day. But that signified that Jesus was the Passover lamb going into Jerusalem when all the Passover sacrificial lambs were supposed to go into Jerusalem. And then those lambs would endure an inspection process throughout the week. And that's where we've been in Mark chapter 12. Jesus is being inspected, quote unquote, by the religious leaders. And their way of inspecting him is asking him questions. Now, a lot of these questions are silly questions because they're only trying to get Jesus, right? They don't care who he is. They don't care about the miracles. They don't care about any of the stuff that he's been doing. What they care about is that he is gaining in popularity and he's speaking against them. They're the religious leaders. And here's this rabbi and they address him as such. And he keeps telling the people that they're the bad guys and they don't like that. And so they show up and they're asking him questions because they're trying to gain like evidence on him, so to speak, so that when they do take him to trial, they have a case against him but they can't because every question they ask, he answers brilliantly. And then chapter 12 ended with really Jesus asking them a question. He kind of turned the tables on them. And then he explained to them or he demonstrated to these guys that the two greatest commandments that the Lord had given us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, 
Those are the two. They sum up all of the commandments, 613 or so of those things. And then he used a beautiful little widow to personify. She lived out those two commands. She loved the Lord God with everything she had. All that she had were two little bitty coins, not even worth a penny. And she gave all to God. And then she was loving her neighbors in doing that because that offering box that she threw those coins into was meant to go to the poor, which she's the poorest of the poor. And she gave everything she had to minister to her neighbor, to love her neighbor. Okay? So Jesus framed that out beautifully for everybody. And from then on, he is asked no more questions. No more questions. And now, as we just saw, he's going to leave the temple. The glory of the Lord is going to depart from the temple. It's going to depart from the temple. The thing that they they never thought would happen is about to happen in this chapter. It's referenced in the book of Ezekiel, how, you know, the glory of the Lord departing from the temple. To them, the temple was everything, everything. I mean, they almost deified the temple itself. To speak against the temple, the temple was blasphemous. And Jesus and his disciples are leaving. And maybe his disciples, we just read that one verse, just that one verse. They're walking out of the temple. They're leaving the temple. His disciples are like, teacher, look at this great building. Look at, isn't this building amazing? And I, I don't know what their tactic is here. I'm not sure. Maybe they're like, he's been asked a lot of questions. He's been harassed all day. Maybe we should distract him. Maybe we should take his mind off of all these knuckleheads that keep showing up and asking him these really dumb questions, Right. I don't know why they're like, hey, Jesus, have you ever seen this building? He's like, yeah, I've seen the building. I've been here several times, right? They've been working on it since, you know, whatever, 15 BC or whatever. He's like, I know the temple, and the temple is beautiful. Uh, You can go to YouTube and see all kinds of video clips about Herod's temple. It was amazing, amazing. He built upon the one that was previously there, where it once stood 90 feet. He's like, no, we can do better. Let's go 180 feet, Let's make this dude 18 stories, right? He's like, we can do better. Let's carve out these massive stones, Jerusalem white stones, and they were highly polished. And there was gold all around this thing so that when the sun rose, you were blinded by this impressive building. These stones were fit so closely together that you couldn't even insert a razor blade in between the two stones. No power tools. They were just doing this all by hand. Like this temple was incredible. So when the disciples are like, Jesus, look at this building. Isn't it awesome? I don't, again, I don't know if they're trying to like, let's try to take his mind off of this thing or whatever. But his reply to them would shock them, would absolutely shock them. Verse two, it says, Jesus replied, yes, look at these great buildings, but they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Like that's, a, that's like a bucket of cold water being thrown on somebody. Because they're like, hold on, this massive structure is going to be destroyed? See, for the Jew, they thought the temple, again, the temple was everything. And because it belonged to God, because it housed God's presence, it would be indestructible. It'd be indestructible. However, when the presence of the Lord leaves, it's just a building. It's just a building. And I know you were all in awe when you walked in this building. You're like, oh, now you I don't know if you were or not. Um, I didn't build it. Um, we praise God for Galveston County Church that did. Look, when the church isn't in the building, it's just a building. That's all it is. Okay, this, these walls are not the church. People are the church. Why? Because the presence of the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. 
okay? What they didn't realize is that on this day, when Jesus left the temple for the last time, the presence of the Lord went with him, never to return. And it's just a building, a building with big stones. And it's beautiful. And there's gold and all sorts of stuff. So that's a sidewalk, okay? So what you're seeing there is just a sidewalk. But you see how damaged it is? It's damaged like that because the Roman soldiers were throwing over the boulders and the stones. They're not boulders, but they're just stones. And it was destroying the sidewalk. So literally, and there's a pile of rubble over there. They literally overturned almost every single stone. Now, it's a little bit hyperbole what Jesus said there, because maybe technically not every stone was overturned, but pretty much the whole thing was brought to the ground. And they're just like that. You go there, you take a tour there, and you walk around it, and those stones are just like that. And what's kind of cool, I think I've shared this with you guys before, is on some of those stones, if you're lucky enough, and if you're watching, there's still gold flakes on the stones that you can kind of scrape off, stick it in your pocket, hope you make it through customs. You probably will, but you can still see gold where it melted. And we'll talk about this in a second, where all the gold inside the temple melted Because the reason why the Romans destroyed the temple was because somebody threw a torch into the thing. They normally leave temples standing all throughout history. When another country or another empire would come in and overthrow a particular country or nation or whatever, usually they would leave the temple standing. Okay, That's why you still have some of these structures still standing today. Somebody had the bright idea of like, let's throw a torch in this thing. The fire was so immense that all the gold inside the temple melted in between the cracks of the stones. So the soldiers wanted to get the gold. So in order to get the gold, they had to knock over all the stones, thus fulfilling what Jesus just said was going to happen. And that's how all the stones ended up being turned over, and the temple was destroyed. And Jesus told his guys, he's like, oh, yeah, this building's cool. It's pretty impressive, but it's not going to last. It's not going to last. And we do the same thing. We do the exact same thing today with Jesus. Jesus, look at this thing. Isn't it impressive? Isn't it amazing? And he's like, yeah, that's kind of nice. But will it last? Is it going to last? I mean, these guys, they put all their hope into the temple. Nothing will ever demolish this thing, right? It's like the guys who built the Titanic, the unsinkable boat, right? And they're like, yeah, well, that didn't work out too well, right? But in our human pride and arrogance, we think like, God, look how great we are. He's like, that's cool, but will it last? But will it last? So he makes this prophetic statement. Yes, these are great buildings, but they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. So from there, and just so we can track on this journey, they are leaving the temple, and then they're going to go. They're going to head east from the temple, and they're going to go up this hill called the Mount of Olives, right? And so chapter 13 is technically, it's the Olivet Discourse, which means it's a sermon that Jesus delivered from the Mount of Olives, thus named Mount of Olives because of all the olive trees that fill this mountainside, okay? And look, if you're thinking, don't think Colorado, okay? If you're thinking mountains like this, no, it's, it's like mountains like this, you know, like you know, just small, little things, Paquito Mountains, right? Like little, little mountains, okay? Just hills. So they leave from there, and they head east up to the Mount of Olives, and there Jesus is going to say, okay, let me teach you about the end times. Now, there's no way we're going to cover this whole chapter. I'm not even going to try to, but there's the 
immediate portion that we want to talk about today. So we understand he planted the seed in the disciples' heads and their hearts that the temple's going to be destroyed. Now, from the walk, which is not a far walk at all, but from the temple up to the Mount of Olives, all the disciples, all that they're thinking about is the temple being destroyed. That's all they can think about. Because when they get up to the top of the Mount of Olives, verse 3, it says, later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, which was customary for teachers back then. They would sit down, you would be standing, and praise God, we changed that, right? For your sake, because I'm a little long-winded, and you'd have to stand up, and it'd just be uncomfortable, right? And I'm the ADD, and I can't sit down. So there you go. It's the grace of God working in our lives. He sat down to teach them the Mount of Olives across from the Valley of the Temple, Okay, I think I have a picture of that. Look at this. So from this vantage point, this perspective, you are on the Mount of Olives. This is like you can envision Jesus is sitting down and you're there listening to him talk about the end times as you're facing Jerusalem, the city. Uh, Again, do a Google search, Mount of Olives. All these beautiful pictures will pop up. There's like pine trees all over the hillside. It's amazing. It's a, such a cool place. It's, it's beautiful. And you can walk from there all the way into the old city there. All right, let's get back to here. I get distracted with pictures. It's usually why I don't use them that much, because I just want to look at them. And you're like, that's not your job. You're supposed to teach us. But they help with the visuals, I think. So as he's sitting there on the Mount of Olives, he lets them know from the Valley of the Temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately. And they asked him, tell us. When will all of this happen? What sign will show us that these things, plural, are about to be fulfilled? Or let me read you from Matthew's account. Matthew was writing to a different audience than who Mark was writing to, but this is what they said in Matthew 24. Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Now, here's an interesting thing about this. They ask him, well, what's going to be a sign of your return? He's right there with them. He hasn't gone anywhere. And you're like, yeah, but they know he's going to die and raise again. No, they don't. No, they don't. Don't give them too much credit. Because when he gets arrested, they all run away like cowards. When he dies on the cross, none of them are there. Peter curses Jesus three times. That night, he's betrayed and led away into the early mornings to be crucified. They are so shocked that the tomb is empty that Sunday morning. So what's, why, why within this, the context of this, what will be the sign of your return? Well, what they're thinking is, so when are you going to overthrow the Romans? The temple's going down. Okay, cool. But does that mean you're going to rebuild something and you're going to establish your kingdom right here, right now? Like, you've been talking about dying a lot lately, Jesus, but is that really not going to happen? Are you just really going to kind of disappear for a second, but you're going to come back immediately and establish your kingdom right here, right now? That's what they were thinking. And it just helps us to remember, they didn't think he was actually going to die on the cross. They didn't think he was actually going to be buried in a tomb. They didn't think he was going to raise from the grave three days later. They were all surprised by that. So they ask them, they're like, so what kind of heads up are we going to get when all this stuff goes down? What do we pay attention to? What should we be watching for? So in Mark 13, here's what Jesus lets these guys know. And this is absolutely key because we love 
prophecy stuff. Believers and non-believers alike love to know, like, what's going to happen in the end? And I know that because I once was a non-believer up until the age of 19 when I got saved. I was in high school, did not go to church, had no interest in going to church at all. But for some reason, something stuck in my head of like, if this is all going to end, I should probably know how it's going down. And so I remember, I can distinctly remember digging through a box in our little apartment in Angleton, Texas, because I figured my mom had a Bible. Right? I know, she's a good religious lady. She, certainly she had a Bible. So I remember finding one in a box. I don't, that's no, nothing against my mom. I don't think she kept her Bibles in boxes or anything like that. But um, for whatever reason, I'm like, there's a King James Bible in a box. And I remember pulling it out and turning to Revelation. Because I knew enough to know, like, well, this is the last book. And if this is about the end stuff, it's got to be in here. And I, I can't, I, honestly, I have no clue what I read. I know this. I didn't understand it. Because I could be reading through it and be like, what in the world is this talking about? But I knew enough as, at that point in time, maybe 17, maybe 18 years old, where I was like, wait a minute, if this is all going to end, and I don't even know where that thought came from, then I want to be prepared. I want to know what to watch for so that, you know, if I need to get right, I can get right just in time, okay? <laughs> that was my thought process. Oh, and I needed to get right. It still took a while, but everybody wants to know what's going to happen. Everybody wants to know what's going to happen. The church, I mean, the church is filled with people who are like, are we going to talk about prophecy stuff? Are we going to talk about prophecy stuff? Give us the prophetic, right? I'm like, yeah, I like that stuff too. But here's what Jesus has to say to his disciples about prophecy stuff that I think really applies to us today. Watch out. Be on guard. Not against prophecy stuff, so to speak, but like, here's what he tells them. Verse 5, Jesus replied, don't let anyone mislead you or in your New King James or your ESV or King James, NIV, all those other translations, it may say, watch out, be aware, be on guard, pay attention, pay attention. That's what he starts with. He starts with his admonition. Oh, you want to know about the end times? Cool. Be on guard. Be on guard. Why? Well, if we're going to talk about the end times, what we should understand is that in the end, many people will come claiming to be something that they are not, trying to mislead you, trying to trick you, trying to deceive you. So if we're going to learn about prophecy stuff, step number one is you have to be on guard. And I would say this to us, because I know that this has a historical element to it. Jesus is telling his guys, because as soon as he died and resurrected and then ascended into heaven, the false Jesuses showed up in droves. So this has a direct application for these guys historically within the context, but it also applies to us because we have YouTube and you have access to all sorts of people who have great ideas about the end times. And I would say, watch out, be careful. I mean, let's just look at our brief history of prophetic swing and misses, okay? Now, I'm going to say these guys are not on the same team of us, but the Jehovah's Witnesses, J-dubs, I like to call those guys, have struck out so many times concerning the return of Jesus. It's going to happen on this day. Then the next day, they're like, well, what we meant was it's going to happen on this day. 
and then this day, 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 and I think then again on this day. Hasn't happened, right? We even had books, even within the Christian church realm, you know, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. Yeah, that was a book. People love that book. And then 1989 came. And they're like, I guess that guy was wrong. Yeah, he was. And we've seen it time and time again. Some of the most recent ones were like uh, the Mayan calendar predicted that we were all not supposed to be here right now. But they got it wrong too. Nobody knows the day or the hour or the date or the time. God alone knows it. So what he tells us as the one having all the information is, watch out, pay attention. Because everybody wants to be right on this. Can you imagine the book deal you would get? Like if you, you got some great idea, you do all the math and you figure out all the hidden stuff within the pages and all that good stuff and you write it and you get a book deal and then you make, you know, I don't know, however much money and it's silly. It's silly. Nobody knows. Nobody knows when Jesus is going to come back. However, we should be watching and we should be aware of the things happening within our world because they're indicators that the time is coming. So Jesus' first admonition to them is, don't let anybody mislead you. For many will come in my name. And when he says, claiming, it says here, claiming I am the Messiah, that is, they are technically saying, I am. Like that statement from the Old Testament you know, Moses was meeting with the burning bush and Moses was like, well, who am I going to tell these guys sent me in the burning bush, which is God speaking to him through that said, tell them the I am sent you. Jesus says here, these false messiahs would show up and be like, I am Jesus. And we've seen that all throughout history. A lot of people claiming to be the Messiah. It says they will deceive many, and that's the reality. They will show up, and we may think like, oh, that's so silly. Somebody shows up and says, no, no, I'm the Messiah. The reality of it is that people listen to them, and they follow them. It says you will hear of wars and threats or rumors of wars, but don't panic. This is a good word for us. Don't panic. Do not be alarmed. Here's what we know. Since World War II, there's not been a day of peace. Since the end of World War II, there's not been a day of peace. In all of human history, there's been like, what, some maybe 200 days, I think is what the stat was, of like actual days of peace. There's war happening all the time on this planet. Well, if we just develop this perfect utopian society, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Well, what do we, we need Jesus. That's what we need. We need new heaven and new earth. That's when true peace happens. But he says there's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars, but don't panic. So when you start hearing of these things in frequency, don't sound the alarm button. He says, yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. And see, a lot of people like to do this thing where it's like, Oh, you hear of all these wars and all these rumors of wars? Oh, he's coming back today. Yeah, he could come back today. There's no prophecy that has to be fulfilled. Nothing has to be fulfilled for Jesus to come back today. Nothing. But just because there's a war going on down the road doesn't mean that he's coming back today. Okay? So what Jesus is letting his disciples know is, look, don't let it distract you. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless, red for 
We're so glad that you joined us for a look at the Gospel of Mark here on Bread for the Broken. Pastor James will continue to take you verse by verse through this New Testament book about Jesus. There's so much to learn. We pray that you've heard something today that's drawn you deeper into your relationship with the Lord. Do you have questions about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus? Well, we would love to hear from you and talk more. So go to breadforthebroken.com and click on contact to leave a message for us. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. Or if you're in the Galveston area, we would love to get to know you in person too. Join us on Sundays or Thursdays as we study God's Word together at Calvary Galveston. You'll find service times, more information, and directions at our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. We're so grateful for our listening audience. And if this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you consider teaming up with us in a financial way? A lot is done to get these teachings out on the radio. And we're so grateful for those who feel led by God to contribute in that way. Simply go to the About tab on our website and you'll find the Donate link. We'd also like to ask you to be praying for us and for your fellow listeners. We can all use God's guidance and continued grace as we navigate this world with Him. Thanks for praying. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can also find it on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for tuning in today to Bread for the Broken.